Hello, welcome to Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. I'm Dr. Nathan. Today we are going to talk about equine vaccination. One of the most common veterinary appointments I complete are visits regarding vaccination. Honestly, I'm not looking forward to this podcast because it's one of the most common things I do. So I feel like I have answered every question imaginable about vaccines a thousand different times. This may be a laborious podcast for me, but I think it answers what people want to know and need to know. And because it is important, I think it's going to turn into my first podcast arc. That's why I'm calling podcast episodes I think need to be grouped together. In today's podcast, we'll talk about equine vaccination specifically, because that's what I do the most. And then in the next few podcast episodes, we will address other aspects of vaccination because it's a complex topic and just unable to be covered in one discussion. So what is vaccination? Vaccination is where we introduce a substance into the body that the body's immune system will remember and thus the body will be able to react to defend itself. If you're familiar with Star Trek, vaccination is the red shirts on the Enterprise. There is an alien intruder on board and Captain Kirk sends his security force, the red shirts, to stop the problem. Oh, I think I just heard a collective groan. Let me be clear, this is an example. In general, the body's immune system is far more effective than Captain Kirk's red shirts at fighting off alien intruders, or in the case of the body, disease. Immunology is a complex science and is the study of the immune system. I quite enjoyed this class in vet school, so I even pulled out some of my old notes to throw a few terms out that you might hear. Vaccines work with acquired immunity something that is learned. When a virus enters the body and is identified as bad, the body learns to fight this off. Lymphocytes are what does this primarily. There are two types, B and T lymphocytes. These cells have memories, so they can remember what they are exposed to, and when they see it again, have been programmed to attack it. B cells are what secretes antibodies. Antibodies are what label and neutralize the virus for attack by the body's defense mechanisms. That's the quick and dirty, at least. So vaccines are trying to act to be the first memory of the lymphocytes. So when an animal sees the real virus, that animal knows it is bad. The two most famous first vaccinations were in 1796 when Edward Jenner used cowpox to create immunity to smallpox and 1885 when Louis Pasteur made a rabies vaccine. Today there are vaccines that are being created to attack everything from a virus to cancers. There are a few different types of vaccines. There's a live vaccine, which is slightly more dangerous because it can cause disease when giving that vaccine, or the killed vaccine, which cannot cause disease. The risk we run as veterinarians is the live vaccine stimulates a better immune response, but the killed vaccine causes less sickness from the vaccination itself. Another player we must mention are the adjuvants, which are added to vaccines to increase the response of the body to the vaccine but are also what usually cause the vaccine reactions you may witness. Okay, finally to the horse. Now that we have an idea of what vaccination is, why is it important? Other episodes will go into more depth about vaccinations, but one of the questions I receive often is, do I need to vaccinate my horse? This is usually followed with stories of how these clients' grandparents did not vaccinate their horse, so they follow up with, If grandpa didn't vaccinate, why do I have to vaccinate? If it was good enough for grandpa, it must be good enough for me. What I then explain is how global of a world we are. Vaccines were not as important in the past because people didn't travel as much. 
Now the world is just one big connected place. Your grandfather's horses likely didn't leave the state or region. I have clients here in Kentucky that regularly go to Florida or out west to Colorado. I have friends who bring their horses down from Michigan to ride in Kentucky, and here it is not uncommon to see horses from other countries at racing events. Even if your horse never leaves the farm, your neighbor's horses might. More importantly, an excellent example of our connected world is West Nile virus. West Nile is a virus that came from Africa by mosquito. How did a mosquito get all the way over from Africa? Well, it boarded a plane and then traveled to the U.S. West Nile entered America and caused a scare with horses and people a few years ago. We are connected. We need to vaccinate because of this connectivity. We can hop on a plane and be anywhere in the world in a matter of hours. That is the same for disease. Disease can hop on a plane just as easily as if it was a person and travel anywhere in the world. We are connected. Okay, after that little soapbox, I guess it's time to go over what I recommend for horses. Remember, I'm going off the AAEP, or American Association of Equine Practitioner Recommendations, and the program I have tailored to my specific region. Vaccinations will differ in different regions and for animals that are exposed to different situations. I'm also going to save in-depth discussion for the diseases for individual episodes. This episode is to just give an idea of what we can vaccinate our horses against. Tetanus is ubiquitous, or it's everywhere, is what that word means. And horses are the most susceptible to this, excluding us as humans. Remember how I said a moment ago that I want vaccination for the things that horses will be exposed to? Well, tetanus is what a horse will be exposed to. Every horse needs this vaccine. Let me say that again because this is important. Every horse needs its tetanus vaccine. Tetanus is caused by the bacteria Clostridium tetani. Tetanus is typically seen introduced to the body through a deep wound or a puncture wound. So if I arrive out at your farm and I see that a horse has a laceration or a puncture wound, I will make sure it has its tetanus vaccines. Horse owners are often less worried when they see a small puncture or a small blood spot because it looks not too bad. I am more concerned with the small holes because the big lacerations I can clean out and treat and they don't create an anaerobic environment and that's an environment where tetanus tends to grow. I can't always do this with small wounds. So if I come out and you tell me your horse is not vaccinated or you aren't sure when it was last vaccinated and what it was last vaccinated with, I'm going to booster that horse with tetanus just to be safe. I'll go on a little side note here. If you are relying on someone else's records, I tend to vaccinate as well. I will use this example more than once in this podcast, but I like it. I gave a public lecture once and asked everyone who vaccinated their horse to raise their hand. Most people in the room did. I then asked them if they had vaccinated with tetanus to keep their hand up. Most did. I then kept listing vaccines until almost everyone's hand was down. One of my proudest teaching moments was when a man from that lecture, I heard later asking another client what specific vaccines were given to my horse. Because what people in that lecture learned was that they said they vaccinated their horse, and they did. But the person sitting next to them vaccinated their horse as well and with something completely different. So why was I so proud when my one client realized that you have to ask what specific vaccines a horse has been vaccinated? Because each horse has been vaccinated with something different. And when someone says a horse has had their vaccines, it's rather useless information unless you can be more specific. 
So anyway, you'll find I probably get on too many soapboxes. But tetanus is a cheap and safe vaccine. If I have any doubt that this animal has complete protection from tetanus, I will give the animal a dose so they do not have this devastating disease. Now, some of you may have seen your veterinarian give the tetanus vaccine, and you're probably saying, but he gave two vaccines. And a lot of my clients have noticed that I give two vaccines as well. There are two types of tetanus vaccine, a toxoid and an antitoxin. I didn't mention with vaccines earlier that most will take at least two weeks to have full effect. The body needs to have time for those memory cells to be able to remember the bad guys. So what do we do in the meantime? We give an antitoxin. This provides moral immunity immediately and will protect the body while the toxoid tells the body what to fight off. The antitoxin lasts about two weeks, which conveniently allows me to give the antitoxin, and then I don't have to worry about the potential infection while the vaccine begins to work. A small side note here, I've never seen this, but there is a risk that giving the antitoxin can cause Thyler's disease, a fatal type 3 immune reaction in the liver, which is a hepatitis. It's rare, but the numbers are ever in your favor that this won't happen, so I recommend giving the antitoxin if there is a cause for it. Uh, another side note, I give foals with unvaccinated mares an antitoxin and a toxoid to get them up to date on everything. Okay, so a little bit more about this toxoid. Its effects last a year. However, again, it's a serious disease and a cheap vaccine, so I'm overcautious. If it's been greater than six months since the last vaccination booster of the tetanus toxoid, I will vaccinate with just the toxoid because it's a cheap vaccine and I want to be extra safe. If it's been less than six months since the last tetanus dose, a redose is not needed. If it's been over 12 months, I'm going to give both the tetanus toxoid and the tetanus antitoxin. Okay, so why am I so big on tetanus? What happens if an animal gets tetanus? So a horse gets poked by a nail. And that nail had Clostridium tetani on it. And say we don't have any vaccines on board and no one notices the wound because it's very small. Just a nail poke. Doesn't even stop the horse from running around and stuff. But 10 to 14 days later, the animal starts looking stiff. Perhaps maybe in the jaw region. Hence the name lockjaw. Then the animal becomes painful to the touch and starts having muscle spasms. I'm not talking about little wimpy muscle spasms. I'm talking about spasms that can be severe enough that they can fracture bones. Horse bones are big in case you didn't know. And this is a scary amount of force that can cause a fracture. 80% of horses with tetanus are going to die even with treatment. That is why I'm so big on this disease. I don't want your horse to die. Pardon the pun, but I think we've beat this dead horse enough. Actually, I hope now your horse won't be dead because everyone is now going to vaccinate for tetanus. So let's move on to the eastern and western encephalitis. Eastern and western encephalitis, I usually refer to them as eastern or western, is spread by mosquito. The vaccinations for these two diseases are very common in most combination vaccines. Eastern and western are different viruses but very similar. The quick and dirty about these two viruses is you don't want your horse to get either of them. But if they have to get something, you would rather they get western encephalitis. There's a slightly higher chance they will survive western, where eastern encephalitis is typically fatal. Okay, so what signs do you see with eastern and western encephalitis? 
Usually they get infected and you will see signs with this disease 9 to 11 days later. You may see horses wander aimlessly, they could press their heads against the barn wall, they may circle, they may not be able to swallow, have an ataxic gait, that's where they stumble around, or they could be paralyzed. Um, some of them just go into seizures or die. So often within a day they will become recumbent and death will occur two to three days later. That's all kind of scary for the horse owner because think about that timeline. A mosquito bites a horse. No one's going to notice that. For about two weeks there are no signs and then your horse stumbles a bit in the morning when you feed him. You decide you're going to check on it when you get home from work. You get home about six o'clock, you see it's a little worse and you call and schedule the vet for the next day. I get out there and I draw some blood on the horse, but he's already recumbent. At best, you could get the lab results back within a day or two, and by that time your horse could be dead. This is scary and quick. Slightly better is I'll tell you that I'm going to start treatment immediately. Unfortunately, then I have to follow that up with it is a palliative treatment. Or meaning as a vet, I'm going to treat the signs and pray that the horse is strong enough to fight through the disease. Quick, you say, grab an antitoxin like we do with tetanus. Unfortunately, there are no antitoxins for this disease. And as you have probably already guessed, a vaccine takes longer than two to three days to give a response. So vaccinating is not helpful either. The best treatment for this is prevention. Vaccinate your horse. The vaccines are good and prevent this disease. Another disease that's spread by mosquito is what I mentioned earlier, West Nile virus. It causes neurologic symptoms like staggering and muscle weakness. The disease gained some attention in the human world a few years ago because the mosquito can infect humans with the disease and not just the horse. I've had some clients ask me if a person can get infected from the horse and I tell them that does not happen. The horse is what we call a dead end host. It can get the disease but it cannot pass it on to other horses or other people. This is an important point to remember so people don't overreact to a disease they can catch. People come down with this disease not because they're getting it from their horse, but rather because that mosquito that is flying around biting horses could also bite humans and pass the disease along. But the horse won't make enough of the disease in its body that a mosquito could ever take the disease from a horse and give it to a person. With infected horses, the death rate is much lower. That's around 30%, where with like the previous disease we talked about, the eastern encephalitis, there was about a 50 to 90% death rate. Still, even though there's a much better survival rate, we vaccinate for this disease so we don't have to risk being infected. The next thing that we can vaccinate for is influenza, or the flu, and that's typically transmitted by snot. Horses are going to cough up this disease and material from one horse makes it to another horse. Clinically, we see fever, a cough, a serous nasal discharge. A lot of people think that they're going to see a purulent or pus-like discharge that's all white and or yellow, maybe green, but that, that pus is coming from secondary infections, not the influenza virus itself. The animal may go off food and is also usually pretty weak. Signs usually last less than three days, but the cough may persist several weeks. The horse is likely infected one to three days before the clinical signs begin. Unfortunately, horses may shed the virus for eight days after clinical signs begin. Now remember, I just said that it, signs usually last around three days. So the horse might look better in three days and then have a day or two where they can infect other horses without showing signs. This is one of the ways that this virus survives. When someone doesn't notice that a horse is sick, 
and the horse is acting fine, they're more likely to let it near other horses. Treatment is typically an antibiotic of the veterinarian's choice. I have some that I tend to use as a first line of defense. And again, it's not to attack the virus, it's to keep a secondary bacterial infection down. I also give anti-inflammatories and plenty of fluids and rest. I recommend rest for three to four weeks after all the signs are gone. And I've found that that is the hardest thing for my clients to do. Once their horse is better, they want to play with them again. This is a disease I will booster these vaccines for other horses in the area if we're facing an outbreak. Like in the human world, there are many strains of influenza. However, the vaccines will typically prevent or keep the infection from being as bad as it could have been without the vaccine. Most combination vaccines have the influenza in them, and most of my clients vaccinate for this disease once. But the vaccine companies usually label influenza protection for only six months. I have a few clients that will booster their vaccines if they have a heavy show season at the end of the year. EHV 1 and 4. Equine herpes virus 1 and 4. This is synonymous with rhinoneumonitis 1 and 4. Remember, we're vets. We like having more than one name for every disease so we can add to the general confusion of the world. There are many types of herpes virus. Obviously, if there's a 1 in 4, there's also a 2 in 3. 1 in 4 are what we vaccinate for and are most concerned about. They're transmitted by snot, just like influenza. If a horse has equine herpes virus, it has been snotted on by another horse. Equine herpes virus 4 is a respiratory virus and is treated much the same as flu, and most animals recover well and the vaccines defend well. Unfortunately, equine herpes virus 1 makes the news from time to time because it has developed some nasty strains of the virus. It can affect the respiratory system, the nervous system, and it can also cause abortions in pregnant animals. Since it affects the respiratory tract, it looks a lot like the flu. So as a vet, I'm going to like testing to confirm or deny what this is as the prognosis for flu or equine herpes virus 1 is very different. Infection usually pops up about 2 to 10 days after the horse was snotted on. They get a high fever, low white blood cells, and a serious nasal discharge. Bulls who get this will generally die. And a note on the timeline for abortions, usually if an animal is infected with EHV1, they will abort 2 to 12 weeks after infections. This is one of the reasons I tell my clients when I diagnose a pregnancy that it is alive when I see it. I'm not going to guarantee a live birth because there's so many things that can go wrong during a pregnancy. Anyway, the neurologic form of equine herpes virus results in animals becoming unable to walk, losing body functions, and they eventually become paralyzed and die. And unfortunately, this is another disease with no specific treatment. We manage the signs and pray the horse gets better of its own will with our help. This is where prevention, again, is the key. I like preventing problems, especially problems that when they happen, I may not be able to fix. So vaccinating should help us, and it does with EHV4. But with new strains of the EHV1, most vaccine companies don't claim to prevent EHV infection. They do say that the infection is not as bad as if they had not had the vaccine. This may seem like a cop-out, but vaccines aren't perfect, and I'll take partial coverage over no coverage. Okay, let's get away from some of these viruses. Atomic horse fever is a disease seen in the summer and early fall. It is found in three river valleys, the Potomac River, the Ohio River near me, and the Shasta River in California. 
The life cycle has been kind of hard for scientists to figure out, but basically it is a bacteria that we think is in a caddisfly or in a freshwater snail. And when these are eaten, our horses can get this disease. Don't hold me to that because I said we don't quite know the transmission cycle. You may also hear of it referred to as equine monocytic ericliosis. The specific bacterium that causes it is named in my scripts that will hopefully soon be available online to members. And I'm not going to tell you what that is because in my entire veterinary career, I don't think I've been able to pronounce the gram-negative bacteria's name correctly. To those that can, congratulations. So what does this disease cause? A pipe stream diarrhea in a horse. Let me tell you, when they have this, it comes shooting out the rear end. And that can be debilitating. Also, it can kind of mess the stall walls up. I treat with a specific antibiotic and loads and loads of fluids. Again, this horse is losing a lot of fluid through the diarrhea, so we've got to compensate for that. So I am pumping fluids in them left and right. And I usually do mean left and right. Often I will be using both jugular veins at one time or another to get fluid in these horses. Again, this is a disease that can be prevented with a vaccine. So I try to vaccinate for this in the spring because vaccinating in December or January likely won't provide much protection, as when the vaccine fence starts to lower is when the disease will be rearing its ugly head the most. I've included in the notes a chart that shows you when the cases occurred in 2015 in Kentucky to give you an idea when the disease comes. Uh, just a note for any who do look at it. Um, it stops in July because that's when I got the chart. Cases likely went up for a few more months before they went down. Okay, our next vaccine to talk about is the botulism vaccine. And that, of course, will be vaccinating for botulism. I feel like this disease is highly under-vaccinated for in my area. And this is another truly devastating disease. Botulism is a disease caused by a bacterium called Clostridium botulinum. Just like tetanus, botulism can be everywhere. It attacks the nerves and results in rapid death. I attached a link to a YouTube video of what botulism looks like, but you can easily look that up yourself. Basically, they stumble, they fall, then the toxin attacks the lungs and the horse can't breathe and dies. I have seen horses recover from botulism and it is mostly foals that we are able to treat quickly and give lots of care that we can because of the smaller size of these animals. Adult horses generally do not do as well. Horses generally get botulism from eating something that has created an area of no air or an anaerobic environment. The bacterium will thrive in this. Silage and dead animals and hay bales are a commonly blamed source of infection. So if this disease can be hiding in the animal's food, entire herds can be infected and they can all die. It's a serious disease and I wish I saw more people vaccinate for it. Thankfully, outbreaks are rare. One of my goals in life is to live a long time and in the future have died without ever having seen a case of botulism in an adult horse. If you could, vaccinate your horse so at least my dreams will come true. Okay, on to strangles. Streptococcus equi is another bacteria that causes a disease. This one is in the guttural pouch of horses. The guttural pouch is an enlarged segment of the canal. It's between the inner ear and the oral cavity of a horse. So strangles is very nasty and very contagious. And you'll typically see signs about three to six days after they become infected with the disease. 
This is another disease where your horse has been snotted on to contract the disease. Things I see with strangles are swelling beneath the jaw in the lymph nodes and at the guttural pouch. I will see a mucopurulent nasal discharge, typically a fever and coughing. Um, I usually see this in young and old horses. The uh, middle-aged horses usually have a good immune protection against this. It's those naive, untested immune systems or those old, fragile immune systems that strangles tends to infect. The bacteria is transmitted on fomites. Yeah, that word was a quiz for the vet students. Um, fomites is the technical stuff for your tack. A horse coughs, the bacteria gets on the surface, and waits for it to come in contact with the next horse. Um, treatment is usually pretty in-depth. Horses do die from this bacterial infection, but often we can get ahead of it. We do quarantine the horses after recovery because they can shed for a month after they've gotten better. The nice part, though, is even though they can shed for so long, the horse will keep its immunity. So for two years after an infection, a vaccination is not needed. This is a vaccine that I use in a risk-based scenario. I don't have everyone vaccinate for this disease. I'm going to talk with my clients, and if their horse is in a scenario that needs a vaccine, that's when I'm going to tell them to vaccinate. But if your horse isn't going to be around a large number of horses, and they won't be around locations where there has been a strangles outbreak, I tend not to vaccinate for this disease. However, some of my clients go into the described areas, and we make sure their horses are vaccinated for strangles. Okay, so these are the equine vaccinations that can be recommended to you. I look at them as insurance. A horse may never be exposed to these diseases and may never need this vaccine insurance. I'm doing the air quotes in case you can't see them. But if your horse gets a preventable disease, just like other insurances you don't have, you'll be wishing you had that insurance. It's always more expensive to treat these horses than prevent the disease from coming. The one thing to think about is if your horse is vaccinated, you may never know that you've used this vaccine insurance. So next time you're sitting at home drinking your coffee in the morning and gazing out at your horse, when you're looking at it, take a second and remember, your vaccinated horse may be alive because it is vaccinated. Vaccines can be an unsung hero because if they're doing their job, we won't know they're working. Wait a second. You're sitting at home saying, he mentioned a lot of vaccinations, but not rabies. What game is he playing at? Yes, rabies. That is the disease that everyone associates with Old Yeller. We will talk about rabies next time. Because it is so important, it gets its own episode. Just to finish up, I recommend every horse gets its rabies vaccine annually. Oh wait, we aren't quite done. One other loose end, some people ask why we vaccinate annually and don't complete our vaccine schedule based off titers like is often done in human medicine. Worry not, we will have a podcast about that as well. Anyway, thanks for listening and I hope this gives you an idea what we vaccinate horses for and why. Next time we will have a special guest on the show to discuss rabies with us. 